Well, we're off on the first focus of mindfulness. If you read about this sutta, the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, you will get various kind of approaches and schools to it. If you've been trained in the sort of formal, monastic, uh, perhaps Sri Lankan type of approach, you'll get a very scholarly presentation. And the entire sutta, the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, which is found in the Diga Nikaya, the longer length sayings, will be treated as a kind of holy text, which is complete and came whole from the mouth of the Buddha at a certain point in history. And then other versions will just be partial or very casual approaches to this. I would suggest that this is not a piece of music. This is not a cantata by Bach or anything like this. This is a um, collection which was given over the years in many different situations. And certainly it wouldn't be appropriate for the Buddha to give the entire full version of this maha, meaning great, satipatthana, focuses of mindfulness or foundations of mindfulness. So the thing that one should keep in mind is this is just something offered for you and you will use parts of it at different times of your life. If you stay at this long enough and you're interested enough, you will eventually start to have a an overview of the whole thing. But it's not a like a single masterpiece that must be experienced from first word to last. So, we are starting in the area, the body. And the body is very good because it's the most obvious. It's tangible, it's material. And I remember at Wat uh, Panana Chat hearing, or one of the teachings I think from Ajahn Chah was that the... Uh, body as a foundation of mindfulness is something like the gate of the monastery. Before you go into the monastery, you have to pass through the gate. So the body is the gate, the gateway to these other dimensions which you direct your mindfulness to, which you direct sati to. And let's just review that notion of sati I mentioned in a previous talk that sati is the uh, sentry overlooking a gate. And its job, there you have the word gate again, the entrance. And so you have this sentry overlooking the gate, which you can regard as the body. And I will talk more about this relationship between the entrance, the gate, the body, and the walled city in the century. You will be hearing a lot of this, and this is how you retain this, how you get a coherent sense of this, is to look and remember the similes that the Buddha gives. These are brilliant. The Pali Canon is probably the largest collection of similes and metaphors in religious literature, all given by one person. 
And each one is not just casual. Each element of the simile is very important as a support to the entire understanding. So mindfulness as the sentry, mindfulness also as memory. And uh, the original meaning of the word is memory. And this is another little area to you will come across if you study Buddhism and so forth. You will find uh, there's a whole school of people that are interested in etymology, the sources of the words. What are the Sanskrit roots and all this? I often I think that it has very limited real relevance. The Buddha really reformed and reused words in the way he wished to. And the original meaning of sati is just purely memory in Sanskrit, but the way the Buddha is uh, using it as remembering the instructions heard even long ago. So you have instructions that you're parents gave you, that your teachers gave you. When learning craft and skill and the general attitudes to life, you got these instructions. Problem is, some people do not seem to be able to remember them. You know, this is the what comes out of the mouths of mothers talking to their children. Like, how many times have I told you not to do that? And then the kid looks up, having a sudden moment of, right, yes, you did tell me that every single day for the last three years. Isn't it amazing how the, we can forget that? It's not that we forget, it's not forgetting a name or how to do math. It's that we should do math. <laughs> how do you forget that? It's very easy. People are sent out into the world when you're a teenager, you're suddenly off attempting to become an adult, and you may not have any idea how to manage money, and you keep coming up short at the end of every month, and you, you're mystified why, but it's because you don't pay attention to the numbers. You have basic mathematical skills, and if you record every cup of coffee that you buy, you will find out why you don't have any money at the end of the month. <laughs> so somehow we remember, we have amnesia, we blank out... We don't pay attention. So this is what the Buddha is talking about, as that aspect of sati, which doesn't remember things that were told many times, exquisitely and precisely with many a, a simile and many a, a helpful way of remembering. So he even gives you five this, and seven that, and eight this, and you know, just basically what you can count on your hands. You remember the Ten Commandments? Two tablets, five commandments on each tablet. Does that make any sense? Yeah, two hands, just a handful. <laughs> so, isn't it amazing? So that when we say we, you lack mindfulness, it is not necessarily the fact that you can't pay attention. There's all kinds of things that you can pay attention to. Whatever grabs your interest, you can pay attention to. But you may be paying attention to something and forget you have an appointment. So you don't have a sense of the appropriate attention. So part of what mindfulness is, appropriate attention. There's something else that goes along with this. Is 
it's hyphenated with it, and it's sampajanya. So sati, sampajanya. And the way to understand this sampajanya, it's sometimes called clear comprehension. But what it really is, is a sense of the appropriate. How are you to behave in a sense of the environment around you? And this would be particularly for monks. It's given in the rules of conduct. So this is something to also explore. The monks are asked to change their behavior, especially in public. Their speech and their behavior in public, because the act of simply walking through a village, walking through a town, walking anywhere that's inhabited, is a teaching. And so the Buddha insists that the monks walk in a collected way, that they are not to laugh loudly, staring here and there, walking in an eccentric fashion. They're also to have their robes parimandalang, or neatly and evenly wrapped around them so that you don't look disheveled. Because this is all a influence on all kinds of people that may see the kind of serenity, collectedness, and focus. Remember, this is the fourth of the, the heavenly signs, the illness, aging, death, and then a renunciant which caught the attention of the bodhisattva. So this last sign is a very important one. As a monk, one is a sign. You're a walking signboard. And this is why, of course, you uh, must wear your robes in public. You can't conceal them. You can't take off your robes. There are monastic orders, etc. Some of the Catholic monastic orders, when the monks go out, they put on regular clothes. But for Theravada Buddhist monks, one is never to go in public without the robes and including the head uncovered as well. So to show this uh, shorn hair as a sign. So you're a sign and how you conduct yourself is a sign as well. And this is sampajanya, so this can help you. Appropriate awareness of the whole situation. Do you remember that you're not in the monastery? Do you remember you're walking in public, you remember that people watch you as a sign. So this is the form of sati sampajanya. This is mindfulness and clear comprehension. They go together. In modern times, it's very interesting. We have this awareness of the brain as a kind of a center of consciousness, and uh, it's hemispheric, so it has two hemispheres. And it seems that in modern brain science, that they're understanding more and more that the left hemisphere takes care of sort of the specific applications of mindfulness to details, and the right hemisphere looks at the larger picture, processes, and interprets the whole thing. So you might think of this as sati sampajanya. So we can't isolate sati off from sampajanya because it's all very well for you to have a practice at home, especially as lay people. You sit maybe for a half an hour in the morning or even an hour, watching the breath, focusing, concentrating. And then you have to tackle the day, and you have to go to work, you have to deal with relationships and all these other things. That is the time 
when your sampajanya is still required, how do you conduct yourself? What is appropriate? What is inspiring to other people? What helps change the atmosphere of a room? When you walk in, how do you walk in? How do you hold yourself? How do you speak? So this is part of the satipatthana, although we're focusing on the word sati, we can't leave off this sampajanya. Another little simile for this is that a bird also has a hemisphere cleavage in the brain. So the bird has to use a great deal of attention to pick out seeds from amongst grains of sand. How does the bird not eat the sand and just get the seed by very close attention? But while that bird is doing that, they need also not to be eaten. So you'll see them looking around and making sure appropriate awareness of the environment because something wants to eat them while they want to eat the seeds. The deer are the same. They're all constantly having to browse, but at the same time having to be hypervigilant and aware of the whole surrounding. Our mind does two things and needs to do two things. It needs to pay attention to the small details but it needs to pay attention to the overarching sense. Sampajanya is a kind of wisdom as well. It has to have information and wisdom. And this is, when you do your four foundations of mindfulness, it's always in a context, and only wisdom knows the reason. Why are you doing these exercises? Sometimes when we start, this practice, we don't really know why we're doing this exercise, except that maybe out of desperation you finally decided you've got to do something and you've heard meditation might help. So you go to a monastery, you go to a retreat, or you even dial up a YouTube channel and um, you start meditating. And you're not sure why. But it's only because and when you are integrating this information into the Eightfold Path that you are truly understanding why you're doing it. Sampajanya and Sati are performing their roles in the context of the Eightfold Path. I mentioned this in the first talk as well, that Sati is not simply mindfulness, but Samma Sati. It's right mindfulness, and that means that it's the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path also does not it's not coherent unless you understand the Four Noble Truths. So the, the Eightfold Path is the, is the path to the solution to the end of suffering. And so the overarching reason and harnessing of sati and sampajanya is for the uh, ending of suffering, the, re, the release from suffering. And all of this is going to be harnessed. So that's why you're carefully attending to your body and so forth. You know... All kinds of skills and capacities may develop. You will hear and experience life, reality, and relationships in a different way if you start doing these mindfulness exercises. If you start training your mind to pay attention in a systematic way, if you keep this up, you will have surprising results in other areas. You will notice things you didn't notice before. You will see 
other people's motives in a new light. And you will also see other people's minds. And if your mind is scattered and you're preoccupied, quite often in a so-called conversation with another person, there's two people engaging in soliloquies. Instead of a dialogue, there's just two people, each one talking to themselves. And uh, this is a characteristic particularly of our time, that people's attention spans, as many have, have noted, ha- seem to be uh, reduced. And the art of conversation also seems to be uh, very, in a very primitive, unsatisfactory form. And that is because we can't manage to sustain attention long enough to hear what the other person says and then have the, the appropriate sense to respond to what the other person said. So you see this fragmentation happening, that only, uh, only sati perhaps is working and only sati about your own life is working and so there is no uh, sampajanya in a, in a dialogue. In, um, in extreme cases, it's very interesting to look at uh, some of the perception tests that they give in cases of schizophrenia. Uh, they will show the person a, some letters, some, say, a capital H and a capital A on a page, but the letters are made out of numbers. So tiny little numbers, almost like pixels, are what give shape to these letters. And then they ask them, what do you see? And they see only the numbers. They don't see the overarching shape of the letter. So you can see the mind doing two things, is not doing two things, it's doing only one thing. It sees the details, but doesn't put them together, doesn't see the overarching picture, doesn't see the letters. We have this uh, saying in English, of course, not see, you don't, do not see the forest for the trees. So you see trees, but you don't see the forest. The forest is the, is the letter, and the trees are the numbers. So, in fact, a forest and a tree are inseparable, and they interact. You, <clears throat> and so this is what's going on in life. And if, you, if you're, in order to have wisdom, you need to cultivate both of these things. You need to pay more attention to be able to sustain attention on the details, you need a context for those details. You need an overarching picture. Why am I doing this? What is the point of this attention? Am I merely doing walking meditation? For no, Is there a difference between a person who walks on a tightrope, a hundred feet above the ground? A tightrope walker very much must pay attention. Is there a difference between that and walking meditation? Yes, the, the tightrope walker's attention is not at the service of something. It's not at the service of the larger picture of life. It's not at the service of wisdom. It is not at the service of sampajanya. So when we do our uh, meditation exercises, they always must be in the context that this simply, these are strengthening exercises for our attention. They are directing our attention to certain 
vital uh, realities that we must understand, and we must not only understand them theoretically, but we must understand them to our uh, to the marrow of our bones. How do we, how do you understand something to the marrow of your bones? You you it becomes second nature, so that your your uh, relationship to these things is not uh, merely abstract, but that you are both you're in harmony with your what you say and what how you feel are one. So you're no you're not a you are not capable of hypocrisy. Lots of people say things, but they don't believe them. So this is the harmonization of, of your, your theoretical view of life is harmonized with how you actually feel about it. So there are uh, many, uh, mostly this is a, a general preparation, and this is often missing in uh, plunging into mindfulness retreats and quite often vipassana retreats as well. Mindfulness is the, the, the satipatthana is the foundational uh, sutta for uh, many of the vipassana courses. Uh, of, and there are various schools of vipassana, but they use, the, the, often they're deriving their uh, teachings all from the, the satipatthana sutta. And... Uh, Quite often, it, you just show up, and then it's a, a, a plunging into this with uh, explicit directions to to watch the breath or something like this, and then also to do something else is to watch the rising and passing of things, such as feelings or the breath or the rise and fall of the abdomen, etc. Uh, but the context, the overarching context of this, is sometimes not emphasized enough. So it's Good. Uh, having been through many of these kind of courses myself, and spent a lot of time with different teachers of this, and heard and read all of these things, uh, I think that my sense is that we need to have the overarching uh, picture of why this is happening. It's a little like uh, dance lessons being taken into the gymnasium, and at, when you're 12 years old, to show you how to dance. But if you've never been to a dance, um, this business of moving your feet around in certain weird ways uh, may not be very coherent to you, and you may not get the idea. It's only when actually uh, this sense of the dance arises that you understand the details, why you were doing this, why they were instructing you this way. So that is the difference between notes and music. This Mindfulness is at the service of music. It's not notes. It's not to make you a better scientist or any of this stuff. It's, it's not to make... Attention itself is not the solution to the end of suffering. It's only a tool, and it's at the service of the overarching truth about how to bring uh, the unsatisfactory qualities of life to an end, and how to bring up not only that, and that... Sometimes the story ends there uh, about things are impermanent, uh, you wish to diminish the negative things, but what about the positive things? Sometimes that gets herded in with the negative things as simply impermanent. 
that misses a huge point. The positive emotional dimension of your life is not to be observed with detachment as something that rises and passes away. It's, it, is, it does indeed rise and pass away. Different types of positive emotional experience rise and pass away. But, the, but you are to remain in the field of the right of these positive emotions night and day. So even the, when the descriptions of the arahants and so forth, that even in their dreams, they do not leave this. So this is the, the Buddha is saying the mind is absolutely purified of the negative elements. Purified. What remains? Just change? No, not change. Positive mental states, which fluctuate and flow, but are all in the positive dimension. They remain in the positive dimension, so you're to remain in that condition. Sometimes you're joyful, sometimes you're equanimous, sometimes you have a great heart of loving-kindness, sometimes you have a great celebration of others' joy, mudita, etc. You're, you're flowing between different positive emotions, and they all are how they rise and pass away, but you're remaining in that field. And that's the point, that's the goal of this, is for the end of lamentation, sorrow, uh, grief, is for the overcoming of greed, hatred, and delusion. I mean, this is the most basic formulation of the, the teachings of the Buddha. Greed, hatred, and delusion are the problem. Generosity, kindness, and clarity are the solution. So are you supposed to be sometimes generous, sometimes greedy, or all the time generous, kind, and clear? You are supposed you are to remain in those in that dimension. The mind is essentially purified of those negative uh, elements. So how are you supposed to do this? People like this message. They, they love to hear this kind of thing. Uh, but they don't know how to transform themselves. So this is the, these are the exercises for transformation. So this is where the Buddha says, well, okay, here's some guidelines how to exercise this. Let's just start maybe with the body. Become aware of your body. And one thing that you can become aware of is the breath itself. Just the fact of respiration. Can you uh, let the past go and the future go long enough to pay attention to the fact that you're breathing? It's a strange request. That's not something that anybody else will tell you. If you go and study music, they're not going to ask you to pay attention to your breath. They're going to ask you to pay attention to the, to the violin bow or something like this. The, the world is not interested in the fact that you breathe. What a strange thing to become interested in, your breathing. But there's a very deep connection to your emotional states and the breath. A lot of your st structures of anxiety and fear and sorrow and all these things are very, very intimately connected with this, the experience of the breath. And so the Buddha is bringing you into the zone, actually, 
And he will later on ask you to pay attention. Are you sad? Are you not sad? Are you angry or not? But he's going to use this. He's going to bring you in with the breath. He's going to bring you into this awareness later on of the mindfulness of the mind as well. He's going to make you a, an aware person. Uh, a person who's not walking around unconscious anymore, driven and pushed and pulled by unconscious, sort of inherited, scattered trainings. You All kinds of patchwork habits, bits of information you picked up along the way, bad, some quite often bad habits. He's going to say, well, we've got to just start again. We've got to retrain you right from scratch. Uh, out with the unskillful and in with the skillful. So he's, he's going to take you back and start you at something as simple as, now let's just breathe. And I want you not to do anything else. I want you to pay attention to this. We'll move along in that breath eventually to how do you feel while you breathe? I don't want you to wander away from the breath, but how do you feel when you breathe? How are you feeling? Now I want you to I want you to find out if you can induce a sense of well-being, gladness and ease while you breathe. I don't want just notation of random emotions while you breathe. I want you to I want something that to discover that positive emotions the breath uh, the the positive emotions of joy and ease and gladness well-being, loving-kindness, are not random happenings. And they actually don't come from the external environment. They're actually products of your own mind. And you can learn to create them, and you can become a skilled emoter. You can actually generate your emotions, the ones that you wish to. And you can also let go of the ones that you do not wish to generate. So this is taking control of your own emotional structure, and this is not the way ordinary humans talk. They're always looking for happiness or love or something like that, and it's, it, they're hoping to get lucky. <laughs> they're just out there hoping to get lucky that love will somehow fall on them, that joy will somehow fall on them, that it'll happen. The Buddha says, stop that, that's a very, very poor way of, of negotiating this. I want you to stay home and, and learn how to do this. It comes out of you. It doesn't come to you. It comes from you. So this is the overarching uh, aim of this uh, mindfulness practice and this uh, clear panoramic awareness. I said the word sampajanya, sati, sampajanya, so... Focused attention and panoramic awareness. So this is the, the, the two things that are going to be developed in the, the Satipatthana. And the gateway to this absolutely beautiful monastery that you're about to go into is the body, is through the body. The body is the gateway. So the sentry, what is the sentry watching? The gate. The body is the gate. The gateway, what is the gate embedded in? A wall. There are six roads that lead to this walled city. 
And these six are these uh, represent the six senses. So sights, sounds, smells, taste, touches, and ideas lead to the walled city. What is the walled city? That is the body. Inside the walled city are four roads which lead to the center of the city. What are the four roads? The four elements. Water, air, fire, and earth. These are the elements that the body is made out of. So the wall is, the, is where the external reality is separated from the body. The mindfulness is the attending to the place where the external world enters the body, and the, the body must be fully, you must know the body. You must know the nature of the body. So this is where this is, the sati is this thing right on the edge of the body and the outer world. And it has to know both places. What's supposed to be, what's profitable and allowed into the body? Because through the body it finds its way to consciousness. Uh, consciousness is the king at the center of the four roads, by the way. And so this is the, this role, this, this sati is a very, very, very important uh, uh, piece of uh, equipment. The, it's, this, the, it's the informed attention, which discriminates and is very, um, the early warning detection for what must not be allowed in and what should be welcomed in. So this is the, the function of uh, sati uh, and sampajanya. So we've hardly scratched the surface of the body, <laughs> um, and uh, we will uh, continue to explore it. Just as a rough overview, the body will be divided into the breath, and then the body as uh, four elements, and then as 32, and then as a post, uh, post-death body. So you want to get familiar with the body while it's alive, and you get familiar with the body while it's alive in the, as, a, as four elements or 32 parts, and then after death as the decomposition of the body, as a thing. The Buddha wants you to get to understand the body is also uh, becomes a thing uh, after death, and it just decomposes as a corpse. So that's called corpse meditation. That's part of body, the body uh, um, chapter as well. So the breath, the four elements, the 32 parts, then the body as, as, as being, having been abandoned like a log of wood and decom- decomposing. And this is something that... Uh, Buddhism doesn't have a, you know, its, it's culture is around bodies is very, uh, very medical. Uh, it's very detached around the nature of corpses. The monks are often encouraged to go to what are called charnel grounds or where bodies have been abandoned. They, in our culture, we were very, very careful to bury bodies or perhaps uh, uh, incinerate them, but uh, we don't leave them hanging or just uh, hanging around in a field or in a, just toss them into a forest. They did at the time of the, of the Buddha, and you could go and sit in that charnel field surrounded by abandoned bodies. We do that with cars these days, but not with people. And uh, 
it, it's quite a quite an experience. It's it's very you cannot find that experience in in modern times. But uh, the Buddha said, yeah, it's a good idea to go and uh, monks uh, go and spend some time, spend a night or two in the or maybe a week in the charnel ground with these bodies uh, decomposing and so forth. Just get not to be uh, not to. Uh, see how brave you are, or or to terrify you, or anything like that. Because get understand, it's just a, a natural process. This is no, there's nothing to be afraid of or anything. It's just, but it, it's reality. This is really what it is. Just know what it is. So we will we will talk a little bit about that, and uh, I might even uh, show you the cover of my the this, the first book I ever wrote, which is Corpse Meditation. <laughs> It's just, the cover's just black, that's all it is. <laughs> um, so I'll leave this preliminary talk at the entrance to the gate to the city on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness.